0: I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call lanyep That's Creole for something extra. That's the opening of French composer Georges Bizet's La Lésion Suite 1 and 2. To the ear of Dr. Bern Hendricks, one of the world's leading authorities on the 19th century American composer, Frederick Delaney, Delaney's famous symphony Quicksilver mirrors Bizet's complex composition, including his particular use of the French horns. Dr. Hendrick's musing about Bizet and Quicksilver kicks off the beginning of a new book, a classical music thriller, Symphony of Secrets. In four exciting movements, the secrets of Symphony of Secrets are revealed, uncovering history, shattering assumptions, and rewriting legacies. Joining me, Brendan Slocum, author of Symphony of Secrets. This is his second novel. The first, The Violin Conspiracy, became a bestseller. For more than 20 years, he has taught music at public and private schools. He has performed with orchestras throughout Northern Virginia, Maryland, and Washington, D.C. Welcome back, Brendan.
1: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. We spoke when the violin conspiracy was breaking all the rules. (laughs) And so I'm loving this. I will say I began reading Symphony of Secrets with a little trepidation because, you know, sometimes that second book is not quite as good. No worries. This is great. (laughs) But I do want to alert everybody that loved uh, The Violin Conspiracy. This is not a sequel. Don't look for Raekwon, Ray McMillan. It's a whole other story, still based in the world of classical music and with the perspective of a character who is black and deeply immersed in that world. So first, why don't you describe the story briefly? That way we can try to make sure we don't give anything away. And tell us a little bit about Dr. Byrne Hendricks, who's at the heart of it.
1: Absolutely. All right. Symphony of Secrets takes place in two time periods. The present, where Dr. Bern Hendrix has been tasked to authenticate a long lost score to America's greatest opera, Red from the Rings of Olympia. He, along with his tech savvy associate, Ebony, uh, makes some very shocking discoveries about the piece's origin. And in the past, 1920s New York, um, Frederick Delaney, who is arguably the world's greatest composer since Beethoven, has a very interesting relationship with a young woman named Josephine Reed, whose uh, actions will resonate throughout history.
0: Mm. Now, what inspired this story?
1: Um, I, well, the one of the protagonists, Josephine Reed, is a black woman who lives with autism. Um, I really wanted to highlight uh, people living with autism uh, in a positive way. Uh, I have a nephew who lives with autism. My best friend's brother lives with autism. I've I've taught students uh, who live with autism and I I wanted to highlight um, people with this particular neurodivergent condition uh, in in a positive manner. And I'm sticking with what I know. I know music, so I wanna make sure that I stay in my lane.
0: And uh, just to be clear, as you describe her and and the way that she responds to the music in her time period, in the past time period, some would describe that as uh, autistic savant. Is that how you would describe her?
1: I absolutely would. Um, And it's interesting. During the story, no one really knows. You know, autism wasn't classified until what the mid 1950s I think and you know this being 100 years prior to that people just really did not know um what people living with this condition you know what was what was going on with them and um in reading the story definitely I would I would uh, classify Josephine as as a savant.
0: Okay. Um why don't we get a little taste of Josephine right off the top? This again is in the 1920s. I'd I'd ask you to go to um 111.
1: What? Freddie started, but Eli chimed in. Yeah, Joe, come up here and show him how it's done. And then to Freddie, even crazy Joe can play better than you. She had jumped up, desperate to get on stage, hauling with her a thick leather handbag. Whoa, fellas, come on, Freddie said. You aren't trying to prove a point by letting this um this vagrant play my piano, are you? Freddie kept the smile fixed on his lips. Her ankle-length dress had once been light green, but now its hem was dark with grime the neckline and arms dark with perspiration stains. The heel of one shoe had come off, so she limped as she made her way up to the stage, Set down her handbag next to the piano bench. She was small, maybe a shade over five feet tall. Her feet barely reached the piano's pedals. From up close, Freddy could see leaves, a few still green in her shoulder-length hair. No music in front of her, eyes fixed on the keys, and then she started to play, easily, ridiculously. Freddy's musical chart poured from her fingers, and in a moment the combo, as if powerless against her, joined in as her right hand echoed the melody that Red lifted into, and her left complemented Eli's rhythm. Yeah, that's it. That's how you do it, Red said, silver teeth flashing. That is what I did, Freddy said. The woman, still staring at her hands, which magically continued to skip across the keys, said, You were late. Two bars behind. Did you memorize this? Freddie said, inching closer to see if there was somehow music written on the piano itself. The woman turned her head slightly. Freddie caught a glimpse of her high cheekbone. You did this, she said to him, and began to play the changes differently. Perhaps, as Freddie had, complete with mistakes. You were late, she said. See, the green with the star is supposed to come in here, not here. To his shame and consternation, he had heard what she meant. Not the green star bit, but he heard the difference. Thank goodness she wasn't a man, or he knew that they would have replaced him on the spot. Okay, fellas, you made your point, he said, talking over the music. The bottom line is we need more work. Okay, okay, I need more work. Give me a couple of weeks. There'll be a whole cheering section just for me.
0: Well, now we get a, a real sense of of uh, Josephine and her, her skill and her talent, um, and also the fact that um, she is uh, not a person that is... Uh, in equal class with the people in the room. She's, uh, as we learn, is somewhat homeless and um, wandering, uh, and that's a function of of her, I think, uh, being on the autistic spectrum and many other mm-hmm. things, as we learn as the book goes on. But that's in the twenties, and now we've seen met Josephine and Frederick Delaney, and that Frederick Delaney, the Freddie, um, in the in the current time, is known as one of the greatest masters of uh, music. And that's what Dr. Byrne Hendricks has known him to be. And he's studying him. He studied him this whole life. One of the things that I was interested in, um, just to be clear about who Dr. Byrne Hendricks is, you um, described him as a music professor, but then um, I understood him to be a musicologist, which holds like a scholarship at a different level. And I wonder if you would explain that so that we have a full understanding of why Bern Hendricks was chosen um, in his role in this book to uh, examine Frederick Delaney's work.
1: Yes, sure. Um, Dr. Bern Hendricks is a really interesting character. And when I made him a musicologist, it was a bit uh, daunting for me because I have a degree in music education and you know, I, I'm not quite sure what a musicologist does. And I <laughs> i spoke to, I spoke to a couple of musicologists and, you know, hoping that I got the descriptions right. And when I spoke to um, my friend Kate, she said, you nailed it. Uh, musicologists have very, very specialized fields of study. You know, they could study a certain type of music from a certain region or a certain composer, and they just delve super deep into uh, the life and times and, you know, even, even the attire that these people would wear or the type of pen that they would use to write their compositions. Basically everything about a subset of music, a musicologist would be a specialist in. And in this case, Dr. Bern Hendricks has dedicated his field of study to everything Freddie Delaney. He knows what type of toothpaste the guy used.
0: (laughs) And I wanted to make that clear. Have you make that clear? Because um, the core of the book starts moving into these assumptions that are made about Bern Hendricks. He is all of that, as you've described, but he's also African-American, um, as is Josephine Reed. And the assumptions uh, about how race may or may not impact their skill level uh, comes through the book, whereas Freddie Delaney, um, whose reputation is unquestioned, uh, is the tension in the book. because. Along the way, they begin to think, hmm, is he all he's cracked up to be? So uh, that's the core of the story that you wanted to talk about, um, along with uh, presenting autism in a good light. Is this a story, the, uh, the um, co-opting or appropriating is the word that I would use of the work of black artists that's still relevant today?
1: One hundred percent. And it's 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 kind of crazy that, you know, this story takes place basically a hundred plus years ago and these same themes still are relevant. Um, you know, what was it a, a month or so ago? The the case with um, I think it was Ed Sheeran and the family of Marvin Gaye, you know, was it appropriation? Did he steal uh, the, the tune from, you know, a Marvin Gaye song? And, you know, it's, well, it was different because. It's a good thing I wasn't on that jury because it sounded an awful like an awful lot like his song. So I'm just, you know, I'm saying there. Uh, but in, in in this particular story, these things I wanted to highlight that these things are still happening. And I, I need for people to understand that uh, people deserve credit for their work. And it, it doesn't really matter. <clears throat> excuse me. It doesn't matter where you come from it doesn't matter what your skin looks like if you have done the work you deserve the credit and it's a shame that you know people either don't realize that they have a right to their own work and they should fight for it um in the you know giving a voice to the voiceless Josephine's voice was silenced you know for someone thought that they were doing her a favor because she was a woman or because she was black or because she has autism. And, you know, I I just want people to realize that things like this still happen to this day.
0: If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me is Brendan Slocum, author of Symphony of Secrets, his second novel, and our July selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. I wondered, um, because you mentioned Ebony, name spelled with an I, E-B-O-N-I, which I love, (laughs) Um, She's a brilliant computer technician, Um, so brilliant that, you know, a lot of people are not even on her level as she describes uh, some of the techniques that she's using to help Dr. Hendricks try to uncover what the mystery is, the 100-year-old mystery surrounding Frederick Delaney and his work. Um, But she's always um, facing down people who are challenging Um, what she knows and how she knows it and how she can do it. And I wondered as I read about it if she was a stand-in for you because you've written often and um, probably more directly in The Violin Conspiracy about the stereotypes of folks like yourself who are in the classical music arena and Black men in general. And I'll just pulled this quote from the Triad City Beat newsletter. You said, I come from walking into a room and people thinking I'm the custodian to being a respected person who is going to conduct these difficult pieces of classical
1: literature. So is Ebony
0: your stand in, Brendan Slocum?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd like to think that Ebony is a representation of what people like me basically what people like me have to have had to endure for a very 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 long time um you know it's it's not just me I would never be have so much hubris as to think that you know she's she's representing me directly but there you know I, I've heard so many different stories uh from people that say you know that exact same thing happened to me I know exactly what you're talking about I have to deal with that on a regular basis um and I just thought that she was a very very relatable character. Even though she has to deal with these types of biases every single day, she's still strong. She still moves forward. She still lets her intelligence speak for itself and, you know, not having to go out of her way to prove someone wrong. You know, she just lets her capabilities do that rather than she she does it with her actions. Mm, mm-hmm.
0: Now, one of the things I uh, really enjoy about your works um, if you're a fan of classical music, you'll just be thrilled. You'll just jump right in. If you don't know much about it, you're intrigued because you are very careful to explain without lecturing us <laughs> what's going on <laughs> and why these specific things mean something, why these annotations mean something, um, why this particular pace means something, what it means in the case of Frederick Delaney, who is one of the main characters in the in the past, Um who has the ability to not only write the music as this is what's understood about him, but also write lyrics because he was doing popular music before he turns to symphonies later in his career. Um, So there's a lot of lyrics in the book and I assume you wrote those lyrics because you do write (laughs) lyrics.
1: Is that right, Brendan Slocum? (laughs) Yes, that is very true. I take credit for both the good lyrics and the awful ones. So uh, uh, yeah, it it was all me and uh, that was fun. I, had an opportunity, I was like, this is a perfect chance for me to use all of those terrible songs that I wrote early on in my my songwriting <laughs> career. I was like, all right, these are terrible. So I can insert these and no one will feel bad for me because I wrote such awful, awful lyrics. And I can juxtapose those with good lyrics, you know, so people can see the evolution. Wow, Brendan, that's really bad compared to what <laughs> you did before. And oh, okay, now I, I can see that you've grown as a songwriter. And yeah, it, it was fun to do. Um, you know, that the cheesier, the better, and that was a lot of fun. <laughs> okay. Um, now, you have made a signature, whether you meant to or not, of the
0: flashback, because both in The Violin Conspiracy, it starts at the beginning um, of current daytimes and then flashes back, and it's similar to Symphony of Secrets. Um, I'm wondering if, what that format allows you to do that the traditional linear narrative does not.
1: I really think it gives me an opportunity to explore, uh, you know, it, it 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 deepens the story, um, I think, with a lot of the background that you get in, in the flashbacks, it really gives you an opportunity to broaden the entire story. Uh, you know, not just coming at it from from one level. It's like, well, OK, so this happened back in the 20s. Now it makes sense why this is important in the present. Um, so if we understand what was going on in the past, it really, really does make clear why things are the way they are in in the present. Hmm.
0: Um, I just was fascinated by that because um, the trick, of course, the conceit in symphony of secrets is that what uh, Dr. Byrne Hendricks and Ebony and others are all interested in and exploring and uncovering is being explained in the past. (laughs) So we readers know some of the answers that Dr. Byrne Hendricks does not know until uh, the very end and some of it he, he still won't know because it's still hidden in history mm-hmm. you know yeah all right so um give us a little bit about your writing process because everybody always wants to know um you told me when we talked about about violin conspiracy that you all were, were already working on this second book so i guess you write fast because this is pretty quick
1: (laughs) yeah i do i mean uh, i'm the type of person uh my my discipline is my main discipline is in music and i spent years and years and years practicing sitting down for hours at a time and you know that just became a part of my daily routine and and so it's it's easy for me to sit and write for a couple of hours every day and Um, I like to do other things besides, right, you know, I like to play video games, I like to go work out, I like to hang out with my friends. And I can't do that until I'm done. When I was in college, I would, you know, there's a party, okay, I'll go as soon as I get done practicing. So it's, it's, that's just the way that I operate. and, And I just I've, I've been fascinated by people who, you know, people say, it took me 10 years to write this one paragraph and I just don't get it. I'm like, well, what are you doing all of this time? And, you know, no judgment towards me. It's just not for me. I want to be done. I want to be entertained. I want to put this book out so that people can can gain something from it you know i want to entertain people and i can't do that if it's not written and you know i'm writing my third book right now and i'm i'm like four chapters in and uh you know i've been writing every day and i i think for a week now i've been writing and i'm already four chapters in and um, i'm that's just the way that i do it so let me save you from some hateration. You
0: do oh. go back and read the whole book aloud and then, you know, edit and re-edit for people <laughs> who are saying, really? <laughs> you, know, you, know I I you know what I do? You know what I
1: do? Every week, every week on Sunday, I read from the beginning. Every Sunday, I will read from the beginning up to where I am. And then I'll, I'll pick up from there with my writing okay. on, on the next, next day.
0: All right. What do you want people to take away from the book?
1: I want people to uh, give acknowledgement to where it is due. I want people to see people, um, ignore the attire, ignore the haircut, ignore the skin color, ignore the zip code, ignore the bank account, and see the individual, see the person for their actions, not for their appearance. I really want people to um, really give give credence to to what people do as opposed to what they look like.
0: And last question, uh, is it a standalone, the next, the third book, or a, a sequel to one of the first two?
1: Ooh, you're getting me on that one. So I will say um, all of my books are going to have little Easter eggs and nuggets. They all take place in the same universe. So if you are familiar with the Delaney Foundation, my next book will... Um, There'll be some familiar themes, I'll say that. Okay. Well,
0: (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) Brendan Slocum's latest book is Symphony of Secrets. Brendan Slocum, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to talk to
1: you. pleasure is mine. Thank you, Callie. Brendan Slocum's latest book
0: is Symphony of Secrets. It's his second novel in our July selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Jesse Steinmetz and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our intern is Miriam Haidara. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Thursday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.